Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Faith Reformed Baptist Church. We are reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 1 and read down through verse number 22. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come to him, unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast, and they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away. From them, and then shall they fast in those days. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles. 
else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. Let's pray. Our Father, in the name of Jesus, as we lift up our eyes unto you, the eyes of our spirits with our hearts open, longing to gaze upon your beauty, longing to worship and adore you in a way that would be pleasing unto you, a way that would cause you to be pleased with your people. Oh, Lord, we want to adore you and worship you. It's the song we just sang said that we would have a thousand tongues to worship and adore you. We feel so inadequate when we come into your glorious presence. You deserve to be praised by multitudes in heaven and on earth. And we give you glory this morning, not because we have any glory of our own to give, but we uh, recognize that you are the God of glory. And there is none beside you. You are our creator. You are our source. You are the author and the supplier of everything of which we have need. And we exist solely because of your pleasure. And, and so, Lord, we bless you and we thank you that you have uh, not only provided for us those things that we need and supplied all the uh, material needs of our life, but you've also given us that special spiritual uh, supply that we had the most desperate need of. You've given your son to be our savior, to bear our sins away in his own body, to turn away your wrath from us, to reconcile us to you through the sacrifice of his own body on the cross of Calvary, the shedding of his own blood. We bless you, Lord Jesus, that you love your people so much that you're willing to die for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't just die for us, but you lived for us. And so we're reading and studying in this gospel of Mark how that you uh, lived out a perfect righteousness for us and how you taught truth as you went and how you preached the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. And so we just thank you for the truth of your word. We ask that you would reveal yourself mightily as we preach this morning. And I pray that your people's hearts would be open and quickened and that they'd be able to receive strength and nourishment from your word and that we would uh, be fixed. Lord, our hearts are, are broken. Our lives in many ways are in, in a mess and we just need you to fix us through your word today. May we go from this place having known that we've met with the Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now let's go to hymn 173. Again, 173, 173.
Amen. Now in our reading in the Psalms, let's go to Psalm 145. Again, Psalm 145. And if you are able to, please stand up in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Psalm 145, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of men your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words, and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's go now to hymn number 441, 441. Thy works, no mine, not mine, O Christ. In our uh, study hour this morning, we uh, were looking at the uh, the chapter of the gospel and the extent of grace thereof. And one of the things that we saw this morning is that um, <clears throat> we need the revelation from God to know the only way of salvation. It is not something that we can learn by instinct, that we can learn by the light of nature. But we need uh, the revelation that is found in the Bible. And one of the things that we know about the gospel is that we cannot be saved by our works. It is by the work yes. of Jesus Christ, Amen. by what God has done, by what Jesus has done. So that's what we are going to sing now. Thy works, not mine, O Christ. Amen. Hymn number 441. <laughs> Thy 
the word of God to us so open your heart to receive the word of God okay let's uh, open our copy of God's word once again to Mark chapter 2 the gospel of Mark chapter number 2 and uh, I uh, no, the bulletin says I'm going to deal with verses 21 and 22, but let I, I would like to begin at verse number 18, and I do want to give some context as well to uh, get into this passage of Scripture. But before I read, I'd like to go again to the Lord in prayer. So desperately need His anointing and enabling, and, and I'm sure that you would have to say that you need that enabling as well to hear and understand his word so let's let's pray our father in jesus name once again we come before you and lord we i want to thank you again for this passage of scripture it's wonderful truth there's glorious things here and your people need to hear and to understand your word and and it's my responsibility to speak. Lord, I am in desperate need of your anointing and enabling. I pray for clarity of thought. I pray for the ability to speak. I pray that you would bring those things to my mind that I've read and studied and meditated on that you'd have said and those things that would be better off left unsaid that you would take them from me. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to your people today. Help us to see the glorious truths of this passage of Scripture. And we'll thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's look at verse, verses 18 and uh, uh, down through verse 22, and then we'll uh, probably walk through them again. But uh, let's let's read. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. Now your version probably says we're fasting, and that's the uh, better rendering of it. The disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting, and they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John 
and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth a piece of new wine, or, excuse me, no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the, the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. And let me also read Luke's account of this, because he gives a little more detail, and uh, it will help us as we uh, go along to understand what is uh, being taught here. And so uh, uh, Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees? But thine eat and drink. And he said unto them, Can ye make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. And he spake also a parable unto them, No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that's taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new, for he saith the old is better. Now, we know that this, uh, from our study uh, thus far in the Gospel of Mark, that uh, this is very early in the uh, three-year uh, uh, what we call the earthly ministry of Jesus after his baptism and uh, his uh, uh, being uh, uh, the Holy Ghost descending on him. And then we read in chapter 1 of Mark about how that John the Baptist, who was his forerunner, who had identified him, was put into prison. And Jesus begins now to uh, go out into Galilee and preach and to teach. And we know exactly what his message is because in chapter 1 and verse number 15, it's told us exactly what Jesus was preaching. He was preaching, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And uh, so Jesus is uh, going uh, about and preaching the gospel. He goes to uh, Capernaum and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, he goes along the Sea of Galilee and he calls Peter and Andrew and he calls James and John. And then he goes into C Capernaum and goes into the synagogue casts out devils and uh, uh, preaches the gospel there. 
And then uh, the Bible says that he heals many in uh, Galilee. And then he goes, uh, 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 goes out and, and uh, heals a leper. And in chapter number 2, we read that already, that he uh, comes back to Capernaum, probably in Peter's house, and a multitude gathers. And there's so many people gathered around the door that uh, people can't even get close to the door. And so uh, four guys come bringing a, uh, a man who is paralyzed on a litter, and they can't get to Jesus. And so they climb up on the roof and let him down. And Jesus let him down in front of Jesus. And Jesus does something at that time that kind of blows their mind. He says something to that man that was paralyzed. He, instead of saying, take up your bed and walk, he says to him, your sins are forgiven. And so the uh, uh, religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees were sitting around there and they were already beginning to get a little bit nervous because they wanted, they were looking for their Messiah, weren't they? They were looking for a Messiah, but what the Messiah they were looking for was a Messiah that would come in great power and would come sweeping in with great authority and political power and overthrow Rome and cast the yoke of Rome off of them and make, now listen to this, make Jerusalem the head of the nations, make Jews and Judaism the chief religion. And uh, man, this is, this is what they were looking for as a Messiah. And Jesus comes kind of incognito, incognito, you know. I mean, they're looking way up here and he comes way down here, right? He comes as a humble man from a discounted town called Nazareth. And he comes from among them, and he's from a poor, uh, uh, a poor family, and uh, and but he is coming with great authority in his preaching, in spiritual authority. He commands the demons, and they flee. In great physical healing, he can do those miracles, and uh, they're beginning to get a little bit nervous because he's not the kind of Messiah that they expected, and he's not the kind of Messiah they wanted. And so Jesus, he kind of, you know, I, I don't know if I should say this or not, but he kind of baits them a little bit, doesn't he? He says, he, he did that, he said those things that uh, to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven you because this confrontation needed to happen. And they said, why do this, does this man speak blasphemies and uh, only God can forgive sins? And they were right. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew what they were thinking and he said, well, is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, rise, take up your bed and walk? 
or your sins be forgiven because only God could do either one. Right? And so he said, just so you will know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, I say unto thee, arise, take up your bed. Jesus has brought that confrontation. He's orchestrated it. It just, I mean, that's, it seems to me that's the way it's happening. Jesus orchestrated that. And then he calls Levi, who is a tax collector, a publican. We know him as Matthew, the author of the Gospel of Matthew. Levi was a tax collector, which was one of the most hated groups of people uh, to Israel because they were tax collecting from Jews to pay to the Romans, and they made their salary by overtaxing. They hated him. They hated guys like that. And Jesus calls him. And not only does Jesus call him, but Levi is so excited about his salvation and his new ministry with Jesus that he invites his friends in and has a celebration, has a feast. Jesus and his disciples are there and it causes another confrontation. They come to his disciples and say, Why? Why does he eat and drink with publicans and sinners? I mean, just think about it. We're actually a little better than he is. We would never do such a thing. Jesus is eating and drinking with publicans and sinners. And Jesus, again, heard, knew what they were saying. And he said, the, the well people, the Healthy people don't need a physician, only the sick. And he said, I came not to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he's not saying that you guys are righteous so you don't have anything to worry about. There's not any righteous. <laughs> and so he couldn't have called the righteous. He came to call sinners to repentance. And so now we get to verse number 18 and says, And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting, and they come to him and say, We've got another little thing. And, and maybe this is, scripturally it's in the context with Jesus at uh, Levi's house with the uh, great feast. And so maybe it's at the same uh, uh feast and the disciples of john of the pharisees were fasting they come say to him why do the disciples of john and of the pharisees fast and your disciples eat and drink now we got to understand that just like manuel was teaching this morning see i mean he preached part of my message too but uh, just like manuel was saying this morning John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And as Manuel said, we read about him in the New Testament, but he was of the Old 
covenant. He was of the Old Testament economy. He was the friend of the bridegroom. We'll uh, read about that in a minute. He's the one who was the forerunner of Jesus. He announced Jesus. He identified Jesus. And then he went to prison, eventually died, and Jesus takes the, uh, the spotlight, so to speak. But uh, the disciples of John, uh, if they're not following Jesus, that's what John told his disciples to do, right? So there's something a little strange here. If the disciples of John are not following Jesus, uh, they're clinging to that old covenant. And the Pharisees, of course, they're the champions of the old covenant, aren't they? They're, they're the ones who, I mean, they... It, it wasn't hard enough for them. They tried to make it as hard as they possibly could. And so the Pharisees were fasting and the, uh, the disciples of John were fasting. And they say, why do we fast and your disciples don't fast? Again, we're better than you guys. And Jesus said, how can the... He answers with a question, how... Can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? And he, he's taking this, this uh, name of the bridegroom. He is the bridegroom. He's the one that has the bride. And he's here to pay the bride price. And he's going to go back to his father's house and prepare a place for the bride. But uh, he is... Here, paying the bride price, and while the bridegroom is here, you don't fast, you celebrate. And so, uh, Jesus says, the children of, can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come, he says in verse 20, the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away. And that word, that uh, uh, the Greek that's translated taken away is a word that means to snatch away and it implies violence. To be pulled away violently. And what Jesus is saying is, there's coming a time of violence for me. There's going to be a time when I'll be taken away. And I'm going to be taken away by the evil hands of sinful men who will take me and nail me to a cross. Again, it's orchestrated. <laughs> He's doing it. He's working it according to His will. Again, as Manuel was saying this morning, from the foundation of the world, this was God's plan. It was not plan B. It was not an accident. It wasn't that uh, uh, for just a little while the devil got the upper hand. Oh no, God used the hands of sinful men to accomplish His will and to provide redemption for us. Bless His holiness. The days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away. Well, 
And then he says, and it doesn't seem like this even fits, does it? Then he says, <coughs> No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. Now, let me give you a, a little bit of definition here. The, the word that's uh, translated new is the Greek word kainos, and it, uh, uh, it means of a new kind. It's not so much new in the sense of time. It's new in the sense of something that's never been before, he, a, a, a kind unused. And here's how you can, uh, a, a good way that we can understand what this word means. It's the same word that's used in John 19.41 when it talks about uh, Jesus being laid in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. It was new, wherein never man had laid. So he's saying here, no man takes a piece of a new, brand new, unused cloth and sews it onto an old garment. And the word old is a word that means worn out, used until it's not useful anymore. And you say, well, you know, I, I, thanks for the definitions, but I don't, I still don't understand. Well, that's the reason I read Luke's account, because Luke makes it a little clearer, because what Luke says is, no man takes a piece of a new garment and sews it upon an old. So we've got not just a piece of cloth and a garment, but we've got a new garment and an old garment. And so here's the picture, and I may have said this, I think I preached this before, but here is the picture. You, if I were to uh, get to uh, get real happy and get to running around here and tear my jacket to this suit, you can't, I know you can't believe this, but this is not designer stuff. And uh, I got it at uh, JCPenney. And I'm pretty sure I could, if I tore this jacket, I could go down to JCPenney and find another one identical to it. Because these are separates, you know. You buy the, the jacket and you buy the pants. I, I could buy a jacket that is identical to it. But it would be foolish for me to take that new jacket and look where my torn place is and cut a piece out of that new jacket and patch up my old. You know what the smart thing for me to do would be? Take off the old and put on the new. Are you getting it? Yeah. That's what Jesus is saying to these who were clinging so tenaciously to the old covenant and the old way. He's saying, listen. You need to let go of the old and take up the new. And I believe he's talking about the old covenant. There's a lot of things that, uh, a lot of ways you could apply this. You know, you could say that uh, uh, Jesus is talking about 
Adam, you know, uh, patching up Adam. <laughs> well, he's not interested in patching up Adam. Adam has already fallen, as we've heard already this morning. Adam has fallen, and uh, God has... Uh, you're either in Christ or you're in Adam. And if you're in Adam, you can't be patched up. And he's not interested in patching up your old life either. As a matter of fact, he's not interested in patching up anything. What he's interested in is a complete transformation. And the, uh, the picture here is of the old covenant... That is old in the sense that it is no longer useful. As a matter of fact, this is what it's, and I shouldn't say no longer useful, but it's no longer, its use has been fulfilled. And, uh, and this is what Hebrews chapter 8 says. Hebrews chapter 8 and uh, I, I want to. I'm going to start from uh, verse seven. Listen to this. I know this is a lengthy passage of scripture, but this is just so rich. And Pastor Russ has has already preached this to us. But he says in verse seven, "For if that covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been found for the second. Well, well, what's the fault with the old covenant? Actually, there's nothing wrong with the old covenant. The fault is we can't keep it. It's us. <laughs> we can't keep it. He said, for, he said in verse 8, For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will make a new covenant. Guess what the word new here is? Canos. It's a brand new Never been before. A brand new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. This is the reason that the old covenant is not useful to salvation is because nobody kept. Verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And of course, he's quoting from Jeremiah 31. He says, the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Let me stop and say hallelujah to that. And verse 13, here it is. In that he saith, now listen, in that he, who said it? God. In that God saith a new covenant, he, God, hath made the first old. That's why the old covenant is old and has been used 
to its potential because God said it. God gave a new covenant, and that makes the old covenant old. Now that which is which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. <coughs> God has declared the old covenant to be the old covenant by giving a new covenant. And so the, uh, the point here is not patching up anything. The point is that the old is ready to be put away and the new is to be embraced. And it's the same message in the second parable, verse 22. No man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred, but new wine must. That word must, D-E-I-C, divine necessity. You know why it's a divine necessity? Anybody know why it's a divine necessity? Because God decreed it. <laughs> it's a divine necessity. New wine must be put into new bottles. Well, he's, I'm not saying that God's concerned about wine. I'm talking about, we're talking about the new covenant. The new covenant is not to be contained in the old covenant. The new covenant is the new wine. You say, can you prove that? Glad you asked. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Verse 22 and following. And as they did eat, Jesus took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now, was he giving them his body? He was giving them bread, right? It's a symbol. This Take this as a symbol of my body, okay? And... He took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it, and he said unto them, listen, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for me. Did he give them blood? No, he gave them wine. And this wine was the symbol of the blood that he shed for the new covenant. And so this new covenant is not to be, try, you, you can't try to encase the new covenant with the old covenant. And there are people that are trying to do that. I uh, uh, work with some people. I work with one uh, guy. He's uh, going on. I, I trust that he's going to heaven. He trusted Jesus. He's a good man, but uh, he was what they called a Seventh-day Baptist. And, uh, and so they, uh, 
were Baptist in some sense of the word, but they believed that uh, Saturday is still the uh, required that we worship on the Sabbath. And so they, uh, they were Seventh-day Baptists. And then I've got, I work with uh, another couple who, uh, there's a church down in Merritt Island or a, I don't know if you'd call it a church or not, but they say they are Messianic, but they try to keep all the uh, rituals and, and all those things. But the funny thing is, whenever you find somebody like that, they pick and choose the parts of the rituals they want to obey. They don't obey them all. And so you see what they're doing. They're trying to put the new wine of the new covenant into the old covenant. And it doesn't work. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work that way. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, new bottles. And I didn't, I didn't take the time to describe what the... Uh, bottles were, but they are animal skins that were used to uh, carry, transport liquids like water and wine. And so, uh, you know what Paul said, I'm, I'm out of time, but you know, you know what Paul said about this, right? He said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things become new. You come to Jesus, He's going to make you new. Inside and eventually outside. All things. Let's stand. Father, didn't get said near all the things that I intended but I trust that you'll take these feeble words and make them strength to the hearer. I pray that we'd grow in grace in these things. In Jesus' name.